The ACB e Forum, Volume 56, Number 2, August 2017. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Jennifer Ivers in the Clive W. Lacey Recording Studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions which are tax-deductible can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection, 24-7, at 1-800-424-8666. Or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acb.org. radio.org or by calling 605-475-8130. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at ACBNATIONAL or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash a-m-e-r-i-c-a-n-c-o-u-n-c-i-l-o-f-t-h-e-b-l-i-n-d-o-f-f-i-c-i-a-l. Copyright 2017, American Council of the Blind. Eric Bridges, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Table of Contents. The Here and Now. How do you watch Peak TV if you're blind? Inside the Burgeoning World of Audio Description, A Game Changer in Accessible TV, by Kelsey McKinney. Can You See Me? 
by Yvonne B. Garris. This Blind Man Chops His Own Firewood by Ken Stewart. Qualifying for Social Security Disability Benefits with Vision Loss by Deanna Power. Focus on Membership Benefits. Compiled by Ardis Bazin. Leaving a Legacy of Value by Alan Casey. Affiliate News. Notice of Proposed Settlement of Class Action Lawsuit. Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski. High-Tech Swap Shop. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce Listserv. Send a blank email to a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e dash s-u-b-s-c-r-i-b-e at a-c-b-l-i-s-t-s dot o-r-g or visit www.ablistss dot o-r-g slash M-A-I-L-M-A-N slash L-I-S-T-I-N-F-O slash A-N-N-O-U-N-C-E and type your email address and name where indicated. Want to stream your convention? ACB Radio can help you out. Write to L-A-R-R-Y at acbradio dot org. ACB Radio brings old-time radio drama to you 24-7 at www.acbradio.org. The Here and Now How do you watch peak TV if you're blind? Inside the burgeoning world of audio description, a game changer in accessible TV by Kelsey McKinney. Reprinted from Vanity Fair, June 2017. The fifth season of House of Cards begins with a pair of dress shoes padding toward a doorway. They belong to President Frank Underwood on his way to interrupt a congressional hearing. Most viewers will experience it as a quiet moment. But in this version of the episode, there's a voice speaking, and it's not Kevin Spacey's fourth-wall-breaking narration. Underwood marches over a gleaming floor in a stately corridor, it tells us. Frank puts on a lapel pin. And just before the opening credits begin, after Frank has arrived on the Senate floor, where he demands those gathered to declare war, the voice interjects once more. It needs us to know that Frank has made eye contact with the viewer, because the assumption is that we won't be able to see it ourselves. A record-high 455 scripted television shows aired in 2016, and a 2016 Nielsen report found that Americans are watching an average of five hours of television every single day. But the nation's 24 million visually impaired citizens can't easily take part in the defining cultural medium of our age, which is where that second narrator comes in. He's a voice actor, 
hired to read a script that fills in the details not conveyed by House of Cards dialogue. This is the process of audio description. Like its cousin, closed captioning, it can be turned on using the menu of your cable box or streaming device, at least sometimes. More on that later. It usually takes about a day to write a one-hour show, says Diane Johnson, president and CEO of an audio description company called Descriptive Video Works. We are very careful not to speak over dialogue. If there's too much description, it's overwhelming. If there's not enough, our viewers will miss things. Describing an inherently visual medium requires not only precision, but grace. I stress as few words as possible, says Joel Snyder, president of Audio Description Associates. Describers have to take the time to pick the right words to describe a scene, and to try to do so objectively without attributing your own interpretation to it. And of course, as Sean Marcellet, the executive director of the nonprofit Blind Beginnings, says, if the voice is annoying in any way, it will ruin the show. Everything from faint smirks to scene shifts is fair game for audio description. On House of Cards, for example, Marcellet, who is blind, appreciates hearing how Frank is physically reacting to his latest roadblock. I need to know the facial expression, because it's all about how manipulative and horrible he is. If they don't describe that, you're just going to miss his whole personality. Writers who work for these companies watch an episode dozens of times to get their descriptions perfectly succinct and vivid, since the narration will be playing over background noise and scoring. Word choice matters more than anything. Underwood moves across a gleaming floor rather than a shiny one for example, and he also marches rather than walking. Without audio description, a television series can be incredibly inaccessible for visually impaired people, especially the moody, dramatic tent poles of prestige TV, which often feature long, dialogue-free stretches. When I lived alone, I would have to call someone I knew during a commercial break just to find out what was going on, says Marcelet. Did they kiss or not? What happened? It was really frustrating. Yet unlike closed captioning, which has been widely available since 1980, TV only recently embraced this beneficial art form. Netflix, for example, has been streaming media since 2007, but just added audio description for its original programming in April 2015. It is much easier to participate in most culture as a deaf person than as a blind person, says Johnson. According to her, that's partially because, until very recently, the deaf community has been much better at advocating for themselves, demanding the resources to consume what they can see they're missing. But not being able to consume the same culture as everyone else isn't just an inconvenience. It keeps visually impaired people separate from their neighbors. My peers were watching these movies in the theater, and I had to order the movie from the library and watch it a year later, Marcelet says. I was so far behind, and it was so frustrating. In the three decades since Marcelet was a blind child, the world of audio description has expanded vastly, but it's still not enough. Last year's best picture film, Moonlight, for example, still doesn't have an audio description track. Neither does the programming on Amazon, Hulu, Showtime, Sling, and HBO. The explosion in programming means there's a lot of that out there, Snyder says. You shouldn't have to wait until a specific date to get the audio-described service. A blind person should be able to experience a show like everyone else. 
because, of course, in one very important way, we're all the same. I've heard people say people who are blind don't watch TV, Johnson says, but that's just not true. Of Can You See Me? by Yvonne B. Garris. As a person who is legally blind, I often wonder if the public even sees people with disabilities, specifically blindness. I say this because I have been on both sides of the sighted coin. I lost most of my sight back in 2004 due to illness. When I started working on becoming independent and walking with my white cane, it became painfully obvious to me how ignorant the public is when it comes to blindness. I will start with the basics. When you see a person with a white cane, that means they are visually impaired. They may or may not have some sight. Never grab a person's white cane. It is the equivalent of grabbing our eyes. Next, unless asked, please do not just come and grab and drag us. How would you like it if someone came up and grabbed you? Do not assume that we need help. Generally, people with disabilities strive to be independent, and many times we have our own ways of doing things. It is fine to offer help, but please do not be offended if we say no. The main reason I am writing this article is to point out how easy it would be for companies to make small changes that would help the visually impaired. If more companies would consider universal design, that would be helpful to all people. When I started traveling on my own, it amazed me how the world forgets the visually impaired and how easy it would be to include them. Things like audible pedestrian signals or making the curb cutouts rough so the visually impaired can tell where the sidewalk ends and the street begins are just small steps our cities could take. One of the best things that has come is the electronic signature guide. It gives me a small slim block of space to put my signature in. When I need to sign a paper, I have no idea where I should sign, so please be aware that I may need help finding the line. Granted, the visually impaired population is small, but it is growing, and companies need to start paying attention and finding ways to include this population. One idea is to have a visually impaired person help the company design their public spaces, or at least give ideas as to what is helpful to a person who is visually impaired. Who better to help design than the people that are going to be using the facility? If you do not know a person who is visually impaired, call your local blind association. I am more than happy to help, since that is part of my job. The visually impaired population is not asking for the world. We are just asking to be seen as equals. With a few easy modifications, this can happen. Ours is not an invisible disability. You know that we are visually impaired because we have a white cane or a guide dog. Please learn these two symbols and help us overcome the barriers that should be easy to break down. So I ask again, do you see me? Because more than likely, I do not see you. When you do not notice my white cane or guide dog, how do I know where over there is? This Blind Man Chops His Own Firewood by Ken Stewart Reprinted from Dirt, November-December 2016 I heard them quite a few times before I figured out who they were. It was always the same time of day, the same relative to the sun's course across the sky, not the same clock time. I heard them during each of their daily flights above my woods because I, too, was following a life rhythm attuned to the sun's cycle. 
It was a skein of geese on an identical flight path close overhead. They were heading back to their overnight roosting ground somewhere east of me after each day's feasting in a vast wetland area over the next ridge west of my little patch of woodland. They needed to get home before dark. I needed to wait until almost dark for optimal performance of my legally blind eyes doing yard activities. Often it was log splitting I was doing when the chorus of squawks and honks kissed the treetops. My activity might reach past twilight, for I could finish up my chores in the friendly illumination from the light fixture mounted on the side of my house above the deck. But I could not start well at all in the glare of full daylight. I found that starting my outdoor life just before sunset provided the best visual contrast. I stood the log to be split, on its end, atop a chopping block, for which role I usually recruited a particularly gnarly, massive log. Years back, when I was harvesting fuel for a huge open fireplace in another house, my subjects were much longer, up to two feet or more. Those logs often required the application of sledgehammer and steel wedges. My current home has a firebox with a more modest appetite. It's an airtight wood stove so diminutive that no log longer than 15 inches can be crammed inside. The splitting, therefore, can most times be accomplished by swift blows from a log maul. My maul is a steel head mounted on a long handle. I would liken it to a very chubby axe. The head alone weighs about seven pounds, and if the log is sufficiently cured and my aim is true, one swing will send two pieces flying in opposite directions. Usually the directions are to the sides, although more than once I have painfully bounced one off a shin. Now I wear heavy, high-top shoes to protect myself. Experience has also taught me a number of ways to make maximum use of my limited view of the target log. A light-hued plank propped up just beyond the chopping block provides a silhouette of the darker, standing target log. A particularly bleached-out wood chip scavenged from the debris all around me on the ground is helpful, too. Perched atop the target log, it aids my aim. I have found that the harder I swing the maul, the worse my accuracy. So if I am attacking a log of small girth or one that is quite well-aged, I concentrate on direction rather than velocity. Positioning my feet in exactly the right spot before each swing of the maul is a must, too. I reach out with the maul to the chopping block, then I paw the ground with my shoes, something like an eager hitter in the batter's box in a major league ballpark. The indentations become tactile clues for subsequent swings. Alas, even with all these measures taken, my swing may be a bit off the mark. Not to worry. The result will be one tiny strip of kindling and one piece virtually the size it was before. Or the maul may come to rest embedded in the flat top of the chopping block beside the target log. Sometimes prying it out is an effort. Side-to-side aim is only one of the ways my swing can go awry. I can come down too far or too close. Too close is inconsequential. The maul head simply digs into the soft soil between me and the block. Too far is more serious. When the upper part of the handle hits the target, my hands feel a stinging vibration. Too many of these handle bangs over time can break it. A quality maul comes with a loose-fitting steel collar on the neck of the handle just below the head. Evidently, mall manufacturers realize it is not only the low-vision woodsman who overshoots once in a while. 
I recall my reaction some winters ago when I had to skirt around a massive pile of firewood in a neighbor's driveway while stopping by his house for a visit. He had purchased it, and by the truckload. That seemed like cheating somehow. Actually, fetching the logs from the woodlands around my home is as much a pleasure as splitting them. My own acre and a half is adjacent to a vast tract of undeveloped land, and there are always more dead trees nearby than my wood stove can consume. Sometimes the first step is to fell one that is dead but not down yet. Usually there are enough already down to satisfy my needs. It does vary by species, but dead trees can rot quickly in the damp shade of the forest floor. The ideal find is a hardwood like ash or hickory, resting on its own stump or another log, thus not in full contact with the ground. Old bedsheets are a useful item during my foraging. Torn into strips, they become trail markers for me. I wrap the trunk of an upright tree every five or ten yards along my route, between my house and the down tree. I use electric chainsaws, so I must string the power line all the way. It takes several hundred-foot-long extension cords to get the power all the way. Each junction of lines is also marked with sheet strips so I can find the joint when it comes time to coil up the wires again. A thin strip of sheet laid along the tree trunk, pre-measured to be just the length of the desired log length, greatly aids my positioning of the chainsaw at the right spot. Sometimes, particularly if I'm a considerable distance into the woods, I'll only cut the tree into longer sections. Hauling one long log back to the house can be less labor-intensive than moving the same wood already cut into short pieces. I have a two-wheeled garden cart I roll as close to the tree as possible. The rocky terrain and or thickets sometimes force me to leave the cart short of the cutting site. In that event, shreds of bedsheet can be draped over the edge of the cart to make it conspicuous. At other times, the white tape permanently adorning the cart's handles is a sufficient flag for detection. It is tape from the same roll of four-inch-wide, white-glittering, adhesive-backed material I purchased from a highway supply vendor and which is applied to the step in front of my tool shed for easier location. Logs which come out of the woods too long for splitting get chainsawed near the chopping block, near the electrical outlet. Some may just be stacked for later cutting. The drier the wood, the easier it splits and the better it burns, too. It may seem counterintuitive, but stacked logs dry out more rapidly if exposed to weather than under the rain protection of a tarpaulin or stored in a shed. The ideal setup is a cover high overhead to offer some protection from rain while allowing air circulation and the penetration of the sun's direct rays. Chinks appearing on the ends of a log are sure signs of a log's dryness. Those thin lines created as the wood shrinks internally are sometimes difficult to detect by touch. Squinting at them close up in favorable lighting is my primary evaluation strategy. Finding the occasional dead tree which is still standing is not easy. In summer, it is likely to be huddled among many other trees that are still alive and thick with concealing foliage. Most all the trees in an old-growth forest have nary a low branch, so the telltale bare limbs of the dead one are far above me, beyond my viewing range. Winter searches are equally difficult because all the trees are equally barren of leaves. 
The feel and appearance of the bark at the tree's base are usually good clues to its demise, unless quite recent. Downing the dead tree is approached with great care as I am dealing with thousands of pounds of timber about to come crashing to earth. Waiting for the comfortable rays of twilight, I can identify which way it leans from its center line. First cutting a wedge out of the trunk on the side toward which I want it to fall further ensures its trajectory to terra firma. Once again, a sheet strip helps me. I wrap one around the trunk just below where I want to apply the saw. Every woodsman knows the frustration of the felled tree which gets hung up in a neighbor's limbs on its way down. More laws of physics suggest which edge of the leaning trunk must be severed so that it will fold toward the vertical rather than pinch the chainsaw being pressed upward from its underside. I confess, though, that one of the reasons I have more than one chainsaw is to have a second one handy to free up the first one from a pinching. There is noticeable variation among tree species in regard to their splitability as well as their burnability. Soft woods, like most evergreens, ignite easily but burn cool and do not last. Hardwoods, like hickory, ash, oak, and elm, make excellent firewood. The most prevalent variety on my property is maple. While it makes considerably better firewood than the conifers, it is not my favorite. That distinction goes to the mighty hickory. Reaching up as high as 85 feet toward the sky, it splits very cleanly and coals magnificently in the stove, burning long and hot and leaving a sustaining bed of embers. Each autumn, the forest floor is punctuated by hickory nuts scattered about. I vividly recall the insight into nature's ways I received one September morning when I was at my chopping block as the sun was rising. I heard the bang of a small, hard object hitting the ground a few paces from me, then a second thud, then another. Soon there was a staccato of dropping hard things. I moved to the spot to investigate, hoping none would bounce off my cranium. All around there were hickory nuts. I looked upward and the sun was just brightening the upper limbs of the trees at the west edge of the clearing. The sudden warming must have been the trigger releasing the nuts from the tree's high branches. The last leg of the transportation system from woods to wood stove is made much easier with one of the most practical birthday presents I ever received. It is an 18-inch by 36-inch heavy canvas rectangle with sturdy plastic handles on the short sides, called a log carrier. Abe Lincoln observed that splitting wood warms you twice, from the exercise outside and from the fire inside later. My inside warming emanates from the Vermont Stove Factory product, which sits in the middle of the two-story-high central living room kitchen space I designed into my home. The black stovepipe soars straight up, radiating heat all the way to the roof. A soapstone on its flat-top surface is ideal for the sauté of dinner treats like the Swiss chard collected from the greenhouse attached to the south side of the house. The greenhouse prolongs the growing season, but its main function is to prevent the deer from enjoying my garden vegetables before I can. Ah, the deer. Some more of nature's children. Qualifying for Social Security Disability Benefits with Vision Loss by Deanna Power Editor's Note Deanna Power is the Director of Outreach for Disability Benefits Help. 
www.disabilities-benefits.org. If you have any questions, send email to help at disability dash benefits dash help dot org. End of note. According to a recent study by the American Foundation for the Blind, more than 20 million adults in the United States live with significant vision loss. Between medical tests, hospital visits, and daily accommodations, it can be difficult for those with vision loss to work and support themselves financially. If you experience severe vision loss, Social Security may be able to help. The Social Security Administration (SSA) provides monthly financial assistance to those in need. Medically qualifying for disability benefits. To qualify for Social Security benefits, the Social Security Administration must make sure that your disorder is severe enough to warrant monthly disability support. Severe disabilities must be either a be expected to continue for at least 12 months. Or B, be expected to result in death. To more easily evaluate the severity of an applicant's diagnosis, the SSA compares an applicant's disorder to the corresponding entry in the blue book, the list of approved disabilities. Vision loss occurs in a variety of ways, so there are multiple ways for applicants to qualify. Below are the three blue book listings that cover the different kinds of vision loss. Section 2.02, Loss of Central Vision Acuity. Applicants qualify under this listing if the remaining vision in their better eye, after best correction, is 2200 or less. This can be tested for using a traditional visual acuity test by an optometrist or other physician. Section 2.03, Contraction of the Visual Field in the Better Eye. Applicants qualify under this listing if it is shown that a the widest diameter subtending an angle around the point of fixation is no greater than 20 degrees, i.e., their field of vision is only 20 degrees compared to a typically sighted person's 90 degrees. B they have an MD of 22 decibels or greater, determined by automated static threshold perimetry, measures the central 30 degrees of the visual field, i.e., their field of vision is 30 degrees or less, with less than normal sensitivity to movement. Or C they have a visual field efficiency of 20% or less, determined by kinetic perimetry. To check if you qualify, physicians can perform perimetry tests or other visual field efficiency tests to measure your eyesight. Section 2.04, loss of visual efficiency or visual impairment in the better eye. Applicants qualify under this listing if a they have a visual efficiency percentage of 20 or less after best correction. Or B, they have a visual impairment value of 1.00 or greater after best correction. To see if you qualify under these listings, physicians can perform either perimetry tests or visual acuity tests to measure the quality of your eyesight.
If you are unsure whether you qualify for these listings, it is still worth getting testing done or applying to see. Even without meeting a listing exactly, you may still qualify for disability benefits by providing medical records, hospitalization history, or physician's notes that show you are unable to work or perform daily tasks due to your condition. Starting the Social Security Application To apply online, go to www.ssa.gov slash A-P-P-L-Y-F-O-R-D-I-S-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y slash. These applications are compatible with assistive technologies and can be either magnified or read aloud by an automated voice if necessary. FAQs and other important information can also be found here if you have any questions about the application or the process. If you need help filling out the application or would be more comfortable using other methods, contact your local Social Security office to either have a worker assist you over the phone or make an appointment to submit the forms in person. To find your local office, visit www.dialitys-belp.org/hlp.org/security-dialitys-dialitys Dash L O C A T I O N S. You can schedule an appointment with the SSA by calling toll free one eight hundred seven. Focus on membership benefits compiled by Ardis Bazin. The recent membership committee focus call gave participants an opportunity to share what they found to be the benefits of ACB. We encourage you to disseminate the following benefits to blind and visually impaired people you know. Perhaps you don't even realize all the benefits available. One of the benefits for most participants was the feeling of being part of a community. Many have formed lifelong friendships after joining a chapter or affiliate. Many have built confidence in their blindness skills after learning from others, making them feel more independent. Members and friends have the ability to network and learn from one another during socializing time at chapter meetings, committee meetings, and affiliate and national conventions. After becoming members, participants have gained an awareness of various issues, particularly those relating to blindness. They have learned advocacy techniques by attending legislative seminars in their state and nationally. With these experiences, they were able to advocate with community agencies and businesses. They have used state laws to their advantage and worked to improve them. The ACB website, acb.org, shows news articles or press releases of state and national success stories. The ACB Braille Forum and affiliate newsletters keep members informed on historical legislation, accessibility challenges and solutions, as well as affiliate activities. ACB's various email lists offer members avenues to explore and learn. Many options are available to hear about what is new in the blindness arena, such as mini-videos and audios on ACB affiliate and national websites and streaming from ACB radio.
It's easy for members to call or go online through the ACB Radio website link, acbradio.org, or the ACB website to the ACB Radio link. The app, ACB Link, gives many streaming and podcast options and information updates. Others mentioned how being involved in ACB has kept them active, since ACB has so many special interest groups, committees, email lists, conference calls on many topics, and other offerings. Many chapters have meetings or a lunch get-together where they have speakers who share information. Technology training on OrCam, Echo or Dot, Siri on the iPhone, and other products, both low and high-tech. Other speakers address transportation, audio-described plays and shows, accessible fitness tools, and other topics of interest. Chapters and affiliates also offer activities such as beep baseball, tours to wineries, accessible museums, sports arenas, etc. Many students learn about our ACB and affiliate scholarships, both educational and for attending convention. With scholarship follow-up and persistent mentorship options, many winners come to love ACB as much as we do. Facebook shares and likes help to spread the word about our events and promote our activities to outsiders who then learn of our unique benefits. State and national ACB walks, mutt struts, and mobility walks spread the word about our efforts as well. Members can share our benefits by doing the following. Sending letters to Braille libraries, asking them to share our convention times, dates with all their readers. Speaking to Lions Clubs, Elks Clubs, and other service organizations, senior centers, and colleges about our benefits and support services. Holding grant writing workshops for chapters, affiliates, to get funds for our services. Encouraging conference calls for at-large members and or young people, students, so they understand all the benefits. Please stay tuned for upcoming membership focus calls. Contact the membership committee for assistance with your affiliate. We have Leaving a Legacy of Value by Alan Casey Most of us aspire to a successful career often measured by a rewarding job, a stable family life, and an accumulation of assets to support our retirement years. At some point, we contemplate our legacy to family, friends, and perhaps organizations which touched our lives. This latter point is especially significant to me. I can say without reservation that no organization has affected my life more than the American Council of the Blind, ACB. When I lost much of my sight at the peak of my professional career, I was introduced to ACB and the support, friendships, and opportunities it freely offers to the blind and visually impaired. While I could never repay ACB for all it has given me, at the very least I can and have included ACB as a beneficiary in my will. If my action enables ACB to help just one person lobby for the enactment of one accessibility regulation or heighten public awareness of the abilities and contributions of one blind or visually impaired person, then I have created a legacy of value. Stated simply, it Affiliate News Peel into Romney Do you like the fall foliage in the mountains of West Virginia? Do you like homemade apple butter, freshly made apple dumplings, or good fresh apples? 
If any of these things sound appealing to you, consider coming to Romney and attend the Mountain State Council of the Blind Convention. Our 2017 state convention will take place September 29 through October 1 at the South Branch Inn, located approximately five miles east of Romney. Hotel room rates are $91 per night plus tax and include a continental breakfast. You may make your hotel reservations now by calling 304-822-2444. In order to get the group rate, mention that you are with MSCB. The convention committee is hard at work planning a fun-filled and informative program. Some potential activities include an escape room, an introduction to yoga, a technology expo, updates from agencies providing services to West Virginia residents who are blind or have low vision, our annual auction, and experience some Hampshire County history. There is also a very good possibility that for the first time we will be awarding the Anna L. Hunt Memorial Academic Scholarship. For more information, contact Donna Brown, Convention Chair, at 304 940 0292, or by email, d-a-n-d-m-b-r-o-w-n at a-t-l-a-n-t-i. Notice of Proposed Settlement of Class Action Lawsuit Attention! All legally blind individuals who attempted but were unable to access or who were deterred from accessing those products or services available at red box kiosks in all 50 states and the District of Columbia, except California, during the period starting on September 17, 2014, and continuing through the term of the agreement. You have a right to object to the settlement described below. Read this notice and instructions carefully. This notice is to inform you about the proposed settlement that would resolve the class action lawsuit Yehoda Nguyen and National Federation of the Blind v. Redbox Automated Retail, case number 214-CV-01278-LPL 2278 the lawsuit asserts that Redbox Automated Retail, LLC, Redbox, violated federal law under the Americans with Disabilities Act, 42 U.S.C. 12101, et sequens, by offering video and video game rental services at self-service touchscreen kiosks that are not fully accessible to and independently usable by blind and visually impaired people. Redbox believes that the kiosks are compliant with the ADA and denies all liability in the case. The settlement, which must be approved by the court, would resolve the lawsuit. 1. The Class Solely for purposes of effectuating this settlement, United States Magistrate Judge Lisa Pupo Lenahan of the United States District Court for the Western District of Pennsylvania has certified a settlement class of all legally blind individuals who attempted but were unable to access or who were deterred from accessing those products or services available at red box kiosks in all 50 states and the District of Columbia 
except California, during the period starting on September 17, 2014, and continuing through the term of the agreement, the class. Redbox kiosks located in California are excluded from the settlement because Redbox has already settled a separate class action lawsuit in California. Legally blind individuals include all persons with visual impairments who require the use of alternative techniques to accomplish tasks for which people without disabilities use sight. Some people who meet this definition have limited vision. Others have no vision. 2. Summary of the Proposed Settlement The settlement results in injunctive relief that will provide accessibility solutions for Redbox kiosks in all 50 states and the District of Columbia except California because of a separate settlement in California under California law. The settlement requires Redbox to modify kiosks in all 50 states and the District of Columbia except California so that legally blind customers will be able to browse, select, pay for, and return media, including DVDs, Blu-ray discs, and video games, without the assistance of another person. The modifications will include the addition of a standard headphone jack, a tactile keypad, and text-to-speech output that will read texts and commands aloud. Redbox will modify kiosks throughout the country so that, generally, in geographic areas where kiosks are spaced more than two miles from each other, or it takes, on average, more than five minutes to drive from one kiosk to the next, measured by Redbox's route time software, all kiosks are modified. In contrast, generally, in geographic areas where multiple kiosks are placed within two miles of each other, or it takes on average five minutes or less to drive from one kiosk to the next, measured by Redbox's route time software, a modified kiosk will be within the two-mile radius or five-minute drive time radius approximately 90% of the time. Redbox will ensure that any new locations have modified kiosks. These modifications will begin no later than 180 days after final approval, or by April 28, 2018, and can be completed within 36 months of final approval, or by October 30, 2020. The National Federation of the Blind will monitor compliance with this settlement by testing kiosks which have been modified, and Redbox will provide quarterly reports to class counsel commencing on December 13, 2018, listing the locations where the kiosks have been modified during the preceding quarter. The settlement also requires Redbox to update its website and its mobile application so that customers can identify the locations that have been modified. These changes will be made to Redbox's website and mobile application by December 31, 2017, and Redbox will update it every 60 days after this date to reflect which kiosks have been modified. Redbox will continue its remote customer service assistance program until modifications are complete. Its remote customer service assistance program allows Redbox customer service agents to remotely assist settlement class members with browsing, renting, paying for, and returning movies or other media from Redbox kiosks by remotely operating the kiosks. The settlement provides for a plaintiff incentive payment to be made to plaintiffs Robert Yehoda in the amount of $5,000 and to plaintiff April Nguyen in the amount of $5,000. 
class counsel will be paid $400,000 for all attorney's fees and allowable litigation costs and expenses. The fees would pay class counsel for investigating the facts, litigating the case, negotiating the settlement, and monitoring compliance. Class counsel's motion for attorney's fees will be available at www.reboxadaset.com by October 16, 2017, or can be requested from class counsel. Contact information below after October 16, 2017. 3. The Effect of the Settlement on the Rights of Class Members All class members will be bound by the terms of the settlement relating to the accessibility of red box kiosks in all 50 states and the District of Columbia except California if the settlement is approved by the court. In other words, once the settlement is approved, all class members will release and forever discharge claims they may have for injunctive relief related to the accessibility of the red box kiosks for people who are legally blind or visually impaired. 4. Objecting to the Settlement If you are a settlement class member, you can ask the court to deny approval of this settlement by filing an objection with the court. You can give reasons why you think the court should not approve it. You must do so in writing. The court will consider your views. If the court denies approval of the settlement terms, there will be no settlement and the lawsuit will continue. You must object in writing and in accordance with the instructions below. To object, you must file the objection with the clerk of the court, either in person or by first-class mail, at the following address. Clerk of the Court, U.S. District Court, 700 Grant Street, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 15219. Any objection must be received by October 9, 2017, for it to be considered. All written objections and supporting papers must clearly set forth 1. The name of the litigation, Yehoda et al. v. Redbox, Automated Retail, Case Number 214-CV-01278-LPL, 2. The class member's full name, address, and telephone number and 3. The specific reasons for the objection and any evidence or legal authority the class member believes supports the objection. Class members who fail to properly or timely file objections in writing with the court and in accordance with the procedures set forth above shall not be heard during the fairness hearing described below, nor shall their objections be considered by the court. 5. Fairness Hearing the District Court will hold a fairness hearing to decide whether to approve the settlement. The fairness hearing will be held on October 30, 2017, at 9.30 a.m. Eastern at the United States District Court for the Western District of Pennsylvania, 700 Grant Street, Courtroom No. 7B, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 15219. At this hearing, the Court will consider whether the settlement is fair, reasonable, and adequate. If there are objections or requests to be heard, the court may consider them at the hearing. The court may also decide the amount of attorney's fees and costs to be paid to class counsel. 
If you file an objection, you may also appear at the fairness hearing. You may appear at the hearing either in person or through your own attorney. If you appear through your own attorney, you are responsible for paying that attorney. To be heard at the hearing, you must ask the court for permission to speak at the same in advance of the hearing. To do so, you must file in writing a notice of intention to appear with the clerk of the court. Be sure to include your name, address, telephone number, and signature on the notice. Your notice of intention to appear must be postmarked no later than October 9, 2017, and be sent to Clerk of the Court, U.S. District Court, 700 Grant Street, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 15219. The date of the fairness hearing may change without further notice to the class. You should check the settlement website at www.redboxadaset.com or the U.S. Court's Public Access to Court Electronic Records, PACER system, at ecf.pawd.uscourts. .gov to get the most current information concerning the date of the hearing. 6. Further Information This notice summarizes the proposed settlement. You may seek the advice and guidance of your own private attorney at your own expense if you desire. For the precise terms and conditions of the settlement, please see the settlement agreement available at www.redbox a-D-A-S-E-T-T-L-E-M-E-N-T dot C-O-M. Contact Class Counsel using the information below. Access the court docket in this case through the court's public access website at P-A-C-E-R dot G-O-V or visit the U.S. District Court, 700 Grant Street, Suite 3100, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 15219 between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, excluding court holidays. To obtain a copy of this notice in alternate accessible formats, contact class counsel using the information below. 7. Contact information. Please do not contact the court, the court clerk's office, or Redbox's counsel with questions about this settlement. Any questions must be directed to class counsel at 1-800-467-5241 or the address below. Benjamin J. Sweet, Esquire, B-S-W-E-E-T at C-A-R-L-S-O-N-L-Y-N-C-H dot C-O-M. Carlson Lynch Suite, Capella and Carpenter, LLP. 1133 Pennsylvania Avenue, 5th Floor, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 15222. Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. 
Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACB Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at a-c-b dot o-r-g or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. NLS Library of the Year For the second time this decade, the Washington Talking Book and Braille Library has received top honors for its outstanding services to readers who are visually or physically impaired. The National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, part of the Library of Congress, presented WTBBL Director Danielle Miller with the Network Library of the Year Award in May in the Library of Congress's Jefferson Building in Washington, D.C. In 2016, WTBBL, comprised of 17 staff members and many volunteers who worked the equivalent of seven additional employees, hosted 8,320 visitors, served 9,349 active individual readers and 500 institutions, circulated 293,877 physical items, and added 1,704 new patrons to its service. WTBBL patrons, who include anyone unable to read standard print material due to blindness, visual impairment, deafblindness, physical disability, cannot hold a book or turn pages, or reading disability, also used the online NLS Braille and Audio Reading Download, BARD, service to download 106,669 books and periodicals. WTBBL previously received the award in 2010. Applying for SSI disability benefits just got easier. Social Security is with you throughout life's journey and puts you in control with our online services. Now people applying for Social Security disability benefits online can apply for Supplemental Security Income, SSI, at the same time, without having to call or visit a Social Security office. To take advantage of this online service, applicants must meet the following criteria. Be between the ages of 18 and 65. Never married, not blind, a U.S. citizen residing in one of the 50 states, the District of Columbia, or the Northern Mariana Islands, and no prior application for or receipt of SSI benefits. The Social Security Administration will evaluate the results of this online SSI service expansion to assess the possibility of further expansion. For more information, visit tinyurl.com slash y77jorkn. Amazon Video announces support for audio description. ACB and ADP are pleased to announce, with Amazon Video, the availability of audio-described movies and TV shows, over 125 of them. 
the ADP website now lists 117 movies and 10 Amazon-produced TV shows, all with audio description tracks. Movie titles include Alice Through the Looking Glass, Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Fences, Gravity, as well as multiple offerings of Harry Potter, Jack Reacher, Mission Impossible, and Paranormal Activity. In addition to movies, Amazon is offering 10 TV shows, some with multiple seasons, including Bosch, Creative Galaxy, Just Add Magic, Man in the High Castle. Visit acb.org slash adp slash a-M-A-Z-O-N-A-D dot H-T-M-L for a complete list of described titles, supported devices, and access links. At present, all of the TV series and some of the movies are free to Amazon Prime members. Amazon's video page is www.amazon.com slash V-I-D-E-O slash A-U-D-I-O-D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N. AMC Theaters, CCB, and Lighthouse Reach Agreement AMC Theaters, AMC, has reached an agreement with several blind individuals, the California Council of the Blind, CCB, and the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco, Lighthouse, to ensure blind customers have reliable access to audio description services at AMC movie theaters nationwide. Under the agreement, AMC will require the managers and staff who are responsible for programming and handing out audio description equipment to be trained on the equipment. AMC and the plaintiffs in the case have developed staff and customer information guides to facilitate better service. AMC also will require managers to check the equipment regularly. Additionally, AMC will offer audio description immediately before the feature movie begins, so customers can test the equipment before the movie begins. If a theater's audio description equipment is out of service, AMC will update theater websites to remove the audio description designation from showtimes. AMC has agreed to implement these changes in theaters nationwide. This agreement resolves a lawsuit brought by CCB, the Lighthouse, and several individuals represented by disability rights advocates and Rosen, Bean, Galvin, and Grunfeld, LLP, in 2016, alleging that audio description equipment at AMC theaters frequently malfunctioned and that AMC staff did not properly check, program, or distribute the equipment to customers. Princeton opens new center for students with disabilities. Princeton University opened its new Accessibility Center on April 13th. The center is intended primarily as a student gathering space. The name for the center was chosen because it embodies the Office of Disability Services' two core philosophies, supporting universal access and emphasizing ability rather than disability. The new center includes physical access features, such as an automatic door opener, adjustable height desks and chairs, and ergonomic computer equipment. It also includes sensory features, such as braille labels on equipment, computer workstations with visual impairment and hearing impairment access features, 
guidance for blind or visually impaired students in how to get around the center independently, and an American Sign Language alphabet display. It also features cool and calming colors on the walls, four lighting options, including overhead and desktop and controlled brightness, and a white noise machine to cancel out general noise in the room, reduce distractions, or provide a calming background of sounds. Also available are emoji emotion magnets, squishy balls, Play-Doh, adult coloring books, and write-and-wipe doors to relieve stress. New Tool for Deaf-Blind TV Viewers For more information, read the article at www.rt.com slash n-e-w-s slash 389254-DEAF-BLIND-TELEVISION-APP slash. An innovative new tool has made it easier for deaf-blind people to enjoy television. The technology compiles subtitles and quickly transmits it to Braille via an app. The software, Pervasive SUB, gathers subtitles from television programs and sends them to a central server. From there, the subtitles are forwarded to smartphones or tablets. Once the subtitles are received by a device, they are transmitted to the deaf-blind person in Braille with the help of an app called GoAll. This device was presented at Spain's Universidad Carlos III de Madrid, UC3M. The demonstration included deaf-blind people who showed how the technology works. The tool was developed by researchers at the university's Pedro Juan Lastanosa Institute of Technological Development and Promotion of Innovation and financed by Spanish telecommunications company Telefónica. The technology has already been introduced on all national digital terrestrial television DTT channels and regional DTT channels in Madrid and will soon be available in other regions of Spain. Feingold Receives Award Laney Feingold recently received the J.W. Cooley Lawyer as Problem Solver Award at the American Bar Association's annual conference. This award is given to an individual member of the legal profession and or institution who has exhibited extraordinary skill in either promoting the concept of the lawyer as problem solver or resolving individual, institutional, community, state, national, or international problems. Award recipients will be acknowledged for their use or promotion of collaboration, negotiation, mediation, counseling, decision-making, and problem-solving skills to help parties resolve a problem in a creative and novel way. Laney has used structured negotiation to reach comprehensive settlements with Major League Baseball, Walmart, Bank of America, American Express, Radio Shack, CVS, and many, many other corporations. Besides being a lawyer, she is an author who works primarily with the blind community on technology, digital, and information access issues.
She is nationally recognized for negotiating landmark accessibility agreements without lawsuits and for pioneering the collaborative dispute resolution method known as structured negotiation. Summer Reading from NBP Are your kids chanting the dreaded summer refrain, I'm bored already? Check out the Great Expectations series of books. They bring popular picture books to life using a multi-sensory approach, songs, tactile play, picture descriptions, body movement, engaged listening, all designed to promote active reading experiences for children with visual impairments. The books are now available as a six-pack bundle. Books included in the set are Dragons Love Tacos, The Day the Crayons Quit, Pete the Cat, Rocking in My School Shoes, Iggy Peck Architect, Amazing Grace, and Measuring Penny. Visit www.nbp.org slash ic slash nbp slash p-r-o-g-r-a-m-s slash g-e-p slash g-e underscore I-N-D-E-X dot H-T-M-L for free activities for each book in the series. Does a youngster in your family have a loose tooth that just won't come out? He or she may enjoy Arthur's Tooth by Mark Brown. It's available in contracted UEB for ages 5 to 9. If you're looking to sneak in a little bit of learning over summer vacation, check out out-of-sight science experiments, and 100 hungry ants. Out-of-sight science experiments features 32 step-by-step experiments for blind youth to do at home with ordinary household supplies. Explore the sciences by making balloon rockets, a solar finger heater, ice cream in a bag, Diet Coke volcanic eruptions, and much more. Tackle math with 100 Hungry Ants, which comes with 100 snap cubes kids can count, sort, and even learn multiplication. Is there a future chef in the household? Take a look at Stir It Up! Recipes and Techniques for Young Blind Cooks. Available as a print braille book, it was created especially for young blind children to get started in the kitchen. Everyone loves to eat, and we all need to know how to prepare food. The left side of the page includes adaptive cooking techniques, and the right side contains simple instructions for young blind cooks. The print braille format allows everyone in the family to cook from the same book. Did you get an Apple computer recently? Do you need some help mastering it? Mac Basics for the Beginning User by Janet Ingber is available in Braille, BRF, Word, and Daisy. She created this guide specifically for people learning how to use a Mac. The book covers what you need to know to get started with VoiceOver, to interact with your doc, to understand the structure of files and folders, and to work with the trackpad or touch bar. It also covers email, iCloud, QuickNav, Safari, iTunes, TextEdit, and the App Store in order to give you a robust overview of your computer and its capabilities. For more information, contact National Braille Press at 1-800-548-7323 or online at 
www.nbp.org slash ic slash nbp slash p-u-b-l-i-c-a-t-i-o-n-s slash i-n-d-e-x dot html. New Music for the Blind Website Ever want to start lessons on the piano, guitar, ukulele, banjo, bass guitar, or another instrument? Check out www.musicforthebblind.com. Their courses and song lessons are taught completely by ear, so there is no print, video, or braille to mess with. Lessons and songs can be purchased in either CD or MP3 format, which makes them easy to use and travel with. If you're looking for a specific instrument that isn't listed above, contact Bill and Deborah Brown at 229-249-0628 or via email b-i-l-l-d-e-b-b at b-e-l-l-s-o-u-t-h dot n-e-t. Passiello Group joins VFO. VFO, trademark, has acquired the Passiello Group, TPG, a marquee software accessibility firm providing website and application compliance solutions to enterprises throughout the world. This acquisition advances both companies' strategy to offer the most innovative end-to-end enterprise compliance and employee accommodation solutions for people with disabilities, including the visually impaired. Retinal prosthesis tested in rats. Researchers at Okayama University report in the Journal of Artificial Organs the promising performance of a retinal prosthesis material when implanted in rats. The material can convert external light stimuli into electric potentials that are picked up by neurons. The results signify an important step toward curing certain hereditary eye diseases. A potential remedy for patients diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa is prostheses replacing the non-functioning photoreceptor cells with artificial sensors and making use of the functioning of the remaining living neurons. A team of researchers from Okayama University, led by Toshishiko Matsuo and Tetsuya Uchida, has tested the response of a promising type of prosthesis when implanted in rats to external light flashes. The prosthesis was developed earlier at Okayama University and is known as Okayama University Type Retinal Prosthesis, OUREP trademark. The main component of OUREP is a photoelectric dye, an organic molecule capable of converting light into electric potentials. Uchida and colleagues attached the dye molecules to a thin film of polyethylene and implanted the dye-coupled film in the eyes of 10 young male rats. Cranial electrodes for registering potentials were attached a few weeks later. The researchers also implanted plain polyethylene films in 10 other rats for comparison purposes.
The scientists tested the response of the implanted OUREP sensors to flashing white light-emitting diodes placed on the surface of the rat's corneas for different background light conditions. The experiments were done with the rats anesthetized and after appropriate periods of adaptation to dark or light conditions. Comparisons between results obtained with dye-coupled films and plain polyethylene films showed that the former led to visually evoked potentials, confirming the potential of OUREP as a retinal prosthesis for treating diseases like retinitis pigmentosa. The use of OUREP poses no toxicity issues and offers a high spatial resolution. Matsuo and colleagues noted that human clinical trials would be planned in consultation with Japan. High-tech swap shop for sale. HIMS BrailleSense U2 QWERTY in excellent condition. Includes original box, manual charger, and carrying case. Asking $800. Contact John Russo by phone 903 946-1459 or via email jlrusso65 at icloud.com For sale Ruby 7HD handheld video magnifier The device is portable, has a 7-inch screen and can magnify up to 24 times asking $1,395. Also selling an audiobook player. For more information, contact Arjunas Kaba at 848-202-0762 or send an email message to argenysc at gmail.com. ACB Officers President Kim Charlson, Second Term, 2017 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Mass., 02472 First Vice President Jeff Tom, Second Term, 2017 7414 Mooncrest Way, Sacramento, California, 95831-4046 Second Vice President, John McCann, First Term, 2017, 8761 East Placida Boulevard, Tucson, Arizona, 85715-5650. Secretary, Ray Campbell, Second Term, 2017, 460 Rain Tree Court, Number 3K, Glen Ellen, Illinois, 60137. Treasurer, Carla Rushevel, third term, 2017, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Immediate past president, Mitch Pomerantz, 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. ACB Board of Directors, Jeff Bishop, Tucson, Arizona, first term, 2020. Denise Colley, Lacey, Washington, first term, 2020. Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, final term, 2020. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, 
First Term, 2020. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, First Term, 2018. George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Final Term, 2018. Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota, Final Term, 2018. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, First Term, 2018. Dan Spoon, Orlando, Florida, Final Term, 2020. David Trott, Talladega, Alabama, First Term, 2018. Ex officio, Ron Brooks, Phoenix, Arizona. ACB Board of Publications. Ron Brooks, Chairman, Phoenix, Arizona, First Term, 2017. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, First Term, 2018. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, First Term, 2017. Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington, First Term, 2018. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, Second Term, 2018. Ex officios, Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington. Carla Rushevel, Louisville, Kentucky. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the webpage in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 605-475-8154. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 605-475-8154. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from http colon slash slash www.acb.org slash